understanding that there are ways to combat affordability issues and cash flow issues and just really kind of being open to digging into it rather than assuming everything's going to be cookie cutter and wrapping your head around those types of things. So just having the conversation and wanting to learn is paramount. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips and Heather Marchant here. It's a good day. This is a request today, people. I mean, we've been... Yeah. Not only is it a request, I don't really even understand this one from the perspective of some people, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, but we have a special guest today. Heather lined this up, and I'm really glad you did, Heather. This is timely because the interest rate market is out of control in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So rather than Heather and I get on here and bloviate one more time about interest rates, we decided to have an expert on. Heather brought on our lender, Brendan Colasar. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, we always love having you. In fact, something funny that came out of a recent conversation with a client, she'd been listening to the podcast for like a year, Brendan, and she was talking to one of our team members and she said, I'm going to have you talk with our preferred lender. And the woman said, oh, is it Brendan? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, how did you know that? And oh, I listened to the podcast. So this is not your first go around of being on the podcast with us. You're making me famous. Maybe in Infamous. We'll see what happens today when we're talking about rates. Exactly. So we have people who are new to investing all the time who seek us out or they see our ads or whatever. Sometimes they hit the show and they're just looking for real information. This is the Get Real Show. So we're going to get real about interest rates today. And I'm going to come at it from multiple different perspectives. I'm going to play devil's advocate and some other things today on the show. But we've been getting a lot recently, Brendan, that people are just like, hey, man, I'm just going to wait this out because interest rates are too high. Yep. I'm not sure that's really what they mean, but people are scared of all different things right now, interest rates being one of them. Let's talk a bit about interest rates. Like, Where are they? Historically, where have they been? Let's go through kind of why we're at where we're at right now and just kind of break this down a little bit and talk through some interest rate stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly not where a lot of folks thought we would be at this point with all the moves that the Fed has made. As someone that I rely heavily on for interest rate data said to me yesterday, there's a lot of egg on folks' faces for predictions they were making based on what the Fed has done and how rates are reacting. There's been a couple instances in 22 where we had some economic data where rates started to retreat and everyone thought that was going to be the big reversal of what was going on. And then earlier this year in March with the bank failures, we kind of saw the same thing where rates trickled back down to the sixes for primary residence loans, of course. And since then, we've gone the wrong direction. Predictions are all over the board. I feel like a lot of people are relying on hope, which I learned a long time ago isn't a strategy. And then we've talked about election years and things of that nature and all kinds of different variables. I think the optimists are saying we're still going to see some reprieve here at the end of 23. And the pessimists are saying it's going to be the end of 24 before we start seeing rate improvement. So at this point, we're bouncing off the highest levels the 10-year treasury has been at in the last 25 years. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm sure it makes your day a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, a lot of conversations. And like you mentioned, Ron, a lot of soul searching on consumers' parts. But the benefits, like you guys even touched on your webinar yesterday, far outweigh the risk, I feel like, in so many facets outside of just the interest rate. 
Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a lot of ways just what everyone's talking about right now. And so everyone says, oh, well, I'm just going to wait. But I have a sister who sold her home about, gosh, seven or eight years ago. And she said, I'm going to wait for prices to come down because they're way too high. Right. And she's been renting for probably, it's been at least five years that she's been renting. And the rationale was, this is ridiculous. These prices have to come down. And that's what all the buzz was back then. So I think it's kind of a similar thing. It's a buzzword to talk about high interest rates. Interest rates are so high. But when we look at historical, it's really not that crazy high. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation is the price reduction. Because how many charts have you guys seen where had you bought this property at six and a half percent, and now what it's going to cost you at seven and a half percent, even if the price came down X. I mean, yeah. you see those so I'm blue in the face on a daily basis now. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. We had people who said that at the beginning of the year too. Now look where we are. Yep. We still have a shortage. We've been on the show several times saying, "Look, I'm not some soothsayer. I have no idea." This is completely uncharted territory. We've never spent the amount of money for as a government that we have over the last five years. Yeah. Never have we spent that much money. Mm-hmm. In the first 200 years, 250 years, we have not spent that much money that we spent in the last five. So uncharted territory for sure. Absolutely. So nobody really knows. I can tell people that we don't have enough houses. And I thought that perhaps home prices might come down a little bit just due to the fact that lumber and some of the supplies needed to build a house came down, but other ones went up. Mm -hmm. So they all kind of came out sixes and nothing's actually come down. And so we still have a supply problem associated with a demand problem. And the government, what they're doing right now is purposefully crushing demand. Yep. Right. And it hasn't helped house prices thus far. And so I think you're right. I mean, let's say we had exactly the same thing that we had that happened before. I don't even think we could. But if we did this time around, this is not a mortgage problem. Mm -mm. And so if prices come down, they're going to come back up and they're not going to be affected by banks dumping hundreds of thousands of units onto the market. That's not really what's going to happen here. There's not been that crazy spike in foreclosures. So I think when people say, I'm just going to sit it out and wait for interest rates to come down. I think really what they're saying is, I'm scared of everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm going to attack interest rates because they went up this week. Yeah. It's like justifying inaction. I was telling Brendan before the show, like my wife and I, we bought our first house. The interest rate was eight and a quarter and it was awesome. Yeah. It was the best rate in over 20 years. Right. When I asked my parents, like, what do you think about this loan? Because, you know. They were like, oh, yeah, I mean, eight and a quarter, that's, geez, that's great. <laughs> that's 10% less than we were paying. Like, I was going to say, theirs was 22. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we keep all this into perspective. Another thing is, Brendan, interest rates, when we started doing this in 2005, were just under seven, I think. I'm actually going to look it up while we're on the show. Well, I remember making pro formas for IRA properties at seven and a half. So like, <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, no, actually it was. I'm like, I was in my twenties to be fair. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it to me because I had already been in real estate for five years at the time. And so this all seems like a blur to me, but I guess that is a long time ago. I mean, since we have candidate running for office, who's 37, 38. Yeah. Born in 85. Wow. I guess those 15 years are pretty important. So (laughs) 
It's amazing how fast it goes by. What would you tell people about the interest rates at right now as compared to historically? And then second question, if a person can get a rate now or buy a rate now mm-hmm. that is somewhere in the sixes, is that a good deal? Is that a so-so deal? Is it something people should do? Like walk us through, like what's the break even on these things? That's a lot of questions I just ask on one thing. <laughs> the first one is interesting. Depending on who you're talking to, you know, historically with rates, I feel like everyone's history and rates is three years old right now. Everyone's like, why isn't this a two and a half or a three and a half anymore? So then you have conversations with folks where their first loan was in the same ballpark of yours, six, seven, eight percent. So it's not a crazy situation. The low rate instance we had was really kind of an anomaly and it's going to become more historical as we move through these next few years with rates where they're at. I would say anytime you can buy down a rate, it's a numbers game, right? But in the same breath, I'll say that 90% of the people I'm working with, whether it's an investment property or primary residence, are doing a buy down in some way, shape or form. If they can get a credit from a seller, amazing. If the conversation happens a lot where people are like, well, maybe I'll throw more money at the down payment. And then we look at the math and we compare, okay, money at the down payment versus money at the interest rate. Yeah. What makes more sense? What's going to move the needle more? And it's always money at the interest rate. So once people kind of wrap their head around that, and then they say, well, well, I'm going to refi. And then my conversation kind of leans towards, yeah, but where's the top with rates and what are they going to come back to? Because for a while, everyone thought the top was seven and they're going to go back to the fours. Now we're pushing 8% if things continue on the path they're on for even a primary residence. So maybe they come back to six. So Mm -hmm. if you're buying down and utilizing seller funds in some way, shape or form, and you're already at that mark, you're ahead of the game because you're not having to recast your loan, start over, pay for closing costs potentially or what have you. And you're already on a path with something that's better than what the market might offer down the road. So the conversations are always a little bit different depending on the client and their thought process. But the circle back to nine out of 10 people are buying down in some way, shape or form, as long as there's a need and it makes sense. And you guys have some properties that perform without a buy down. Yeah. So in those instances, it's, hey, this is some icing on the cake. Maybe they have a little extra dough and they want it to perform a little bit better. So they pay a point or two on their own recognizance. But really, it's about just understanding the numbers and making an educated decision. I love that. That's so true because the numbers... It's just numbers. Yeah. I think when I talk to people right now and they say they're scared of the rate, I think the next logical follow-up question is, what about the rate is scary? Yeah. Like, what about that number is scary to you? Because really what we should be looking at is the return. And that's what you were talking about, Brendan, is like, how does this affect the actual numbers of the performance of the property? That's really what we should be looking at. Yep. And the only other thing that we should be looking at is if I buy this rate down, What's my break-even point on the money that I invested in the rate buy-down? If I'm planning to keep the property longer than the break-even point, then it makes sense. Absolutely. That's literally it. And let me give you something that's completely different than interest rates. But on a commercial property, there's things called tenant improvements. So we're trying to lease our property right now, and we're haggling over tenant improvements. Tenant improvements is an investment kind of like a buy-down. You have to amortize that over the length of the term of the lease. And you have to take into consideration the entire term of the lease. What is my return? Because first year, it's going to suck. It's not going to be as good because I have to put a whole bunch of money into the tenant improvements. But over time, if I'm making over 10%, I mean, that's a good investment, right? It's kind of like that. I'm paying a little bit more upfront for a long-term, really, really solid investment, right? Right. Okay. I did look up rates. This is interesting because now these are homeowner rates. 
as I can't find investor rates. But investor rates, aren't they about a point more than... I'd say a point and a half right now with the way yield spreads are. Okay. I'm going to say a point because that's what I remember back in the day. And they probably are a little bit worse today because of the yield spreads. But back in the day, I started this in 2005. So 2006 is the year that I remember. We had interest rates in the sevens. And this this plays out in 2006, it said 6.41. So interest rates for investors in 2006, 2007, 2008 were north of seven. And I mean, the problem back then is nobody actually looked at the returns. Yeah. (laughs) They did look at the interest rates back then, but they didn't look at the actual returns. So they were buying negative cash flowing properties and the interest rate shouldn't have been important. What should have been important is you're buying a negative cash flow property. Right. Now, after the crash, interest rates dropped. I mean, fast, they dropped down to the fours, which would have been fives for us. And then they kind of hung out there. And then we got wickedly spoiled in 2021, yeah. which is, I think, what you were saying earlier, Brendan, the only year anybody remembers when interest rates were in the twos. Yeah. Right. And I'm looking at 1975 when I was one year old until now. There's only been one year when interest rates were in the twos, people. One. Yeah. Perspective for sure. Yep. Same thing with points too. It's just understanding, you know, it depends on who you get your advice from and who your circle is that you're having conversations with about should I do this and what do you think of this rate? And like you said, it's all about perspective and looking at the big picture, Heather. Yeah. For sure. I just think the waiting is probably the worst advice out there right now. Just wait. Like I can't think of anything worse to do in our current economy with inflation to just sit on your cash. Yep. It just sounds like a lose-lose game. So Brendan, when somebody calls and talks to you about rates and terms and loans and all this stuff, and I know that you have a bunch of different loan programs from DSCR to regular conventional loans and everything in between, hybrid programs and all this stuff. When people call in, what is it that they should be asking you? I mean, they're going to anyway, but when they call in, what should they know that they should ask you about that maybe right now everybody listening doesn't know? Oh, that's a good one. That there are options. I think everyone sees what they're seeing online or what hearsay is. They're listening to folks that haven't decided to step into the game yet, and they're hesitant because of what they've heard from them. So really kind of diving into capability of utilizing money, whether it's you guys providing incentives from a seller or if they're buying a primary residence with how they can potentially structure their offer to improve their situation by maybe even paying over asking to get a credit back because there's some power in that. I mean, I had a conversation yesterday with a gal who recently divorced, was looking to buy her first property. And I mentioned buying the rate down and she had bought three or four properties in the past and just had never heard of that. And It wasn't as relevant. It wasn't something people needed to do just based on where prices were. So just understanding that there are options, there are ways to combat affordability issues and cash flow issues, and just really kind of being open to digging into it rather than assuming everything's going to be cookie cutter and wrapping your head around those types of things. So Mm -hmm. I think just having the conversation and wanting to learn is paramount. Yeah. I really like that. And man, one of the things that I've noticed recently is that some days, and it depends on the day, sometimes DSCR loans can perform better than conventional loans, which doesn't make any sense. And I guess we should pause for a second. Yeah, talk about what they are. Probably a whole lot of people who don't even know what DSCR is. 
So maybe take a second and like explain what that is really quick and then help us understand why in the world a loan like that, after you explain it, people are going to go, oh, I understand why that's more expensive normally. Why in the world a loan like that is less expensive sometimes? Yeah. So a DSCR loan stands for debt service coverage ratio. And that acronym stumps people every time I throw it out there. So effectively what we're doing is we're taking the consumer's situation, their income, their debt to income ratio, and we're throwing all that out the window. What we're qualifying you with is your credit score. And then we're looking at the property. And as long as the debt service coverage ratio, meaning the rents of the property and what the potential mortgage payment is, is one-to-one or better, you can qualify for that product at their most optimal pricing levels. They actually have an option where it doesn't even have to ratio, but the pricing doesn't work because the pricing is so bad. So people won't jump on it. But yes, you're effectively qualifying the property itself with your credit being the one key that we're looking at. And these are privatized. They're called non-QM loans. They're non-qualified mortgages. They have some nuances. They have prepayment penalties. There's a couple states, Kansas being one of them, where you can't have a prepayment penalty in the state of Kansas. So the rates are actually higher there. There's some other nuances depending on the dollar amount of the loan that certain investors won't touch. So it gets interesting when I'm trying to find a $90,000 DSCR loan in Kansas. I've got to really (laughs) narrow down which investor will do that and then make sure the pricing works for that property when we're buying out the prepay. So there's definitely some moving parts, but they're pretty cool, man. I mean, like you mentioned with the rates, had a conversation with someone yesterday who their last loan experience was a negative one. And obviously that wasn't with my team, but I talked them through, Hey, if you want to try and streamline this and the numbers make sense, maybe we look at doing a DSCR. And when someone's got four or five corporations that they're over 25% owner in, I mean, Fannie Mae really digs in there and we've got to provide a lot of mm-hmm. de- documentation. Oh my gosh, it's brutal. Heather, I know you know that personally yeah. and I'm sure same for you, Ron. So I don't do it. I just don't do it anymore, man. I- <laughs> so the DSCR option, I mean, depending on the pricing difference, if there is one, sometimes is a good option just for simplicity. And for folks that are self-employed and they do the tax thing and don't show a ton of income, It's the only option, you know, in a lot of cases. So it's a great product in that regard. I mean, typically you're going to have a three-year prepay, which is not really a big deal in the investor world. I mean, no one's balking at that. Yeah. I mean, if you're not keeping a property longer than that, you probably shouldn't buy it anyway. Yeah. I mean. Exactly. And these are sold to insurance funds. I mean, it's all Wall Street based. So the pricing is really just a derivative of who these investors are selling the loans to on Wall Street on any given day. So these folks are looking for 7% return before adjustments for credit and whatever else. That may be why the rates are sitting where they're at, because that's all that investor is looking for compared to how Fannie Mae works. And there's so many other factors that play there, the performance of mortgage-backed securities on the secondary market and all that. So you're right. I mean, the reason these weren't as prevalent in the past is because there was such a disparity between the interest rates that gap has shrunken pretty significantly. And I'm doing one on my next property. (laughs) (laughs) Just for simplicity. So yeah, it's certainly something that I make sure we talk about and compare in most instances, just so people are aware. Anybody who hasn't done commercial loans is going to think that's like really weird, but that's literally how all commercial loans are done. Yeah, true. Right. All of them are debt service coverage ratio loans. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a couple of other rules. I mean, you, you actually do have to have some liquidity and you have to have some assets. But other than that, they're qualifying the property mm-hmm. in every instance. And so for me, when I hear debt service coverage ratio, and that's a normal loan, everybody does the DSCR loans, right? Yeah. And most of them don't have as long of a term either as what you guys have. Most of them are short-term loans, shorter, three to five-year terms. But I know you have them that are much longer than that. And it's because Wall Street finally figured out that this asset class is really not as dangerous. Right as they once thought it was, if they just do the DSCR part right, mm-hmm. it's a pretty safe loan. I mean, over the years, I think I mean, we just haven't had that many people get foreclosed on. I mean, because the properties are cash flowing. Why would you foreclosed on? Like it, right. Someone else is paying your mortgage. Exactly. Yeah. For a new investor, I think it's really comforting to know that a property that you're looking at buying qualifies for a loan product that is just based on the performance of the property, mm-hmm. that your property is performing well enough that the bank's willing to take on that risk is kind of cool right. <laughs> to kind of protect yourself and your investment to know that it qualifies. Pretty cool. They're confident enough to know that if they did have to take it back, yeah. they could rent it and cover the yes. note. Yes. Pretty cool. Yeah. To give you guys a little insider on another product they do that I've been pretty heavy on lately is for self-employed folks, We're doing a ton of 12-month bank statement products where we're effectively taking 12 months bank statements, depending on the structure of your business, we're taking your 12-month average deposits and then multiplying that by a 0.8 or 0.6 expense factor, and that's your income. So if you're a self-employed individual with no employees, I can use 80% of your deposits. That's cool. And there's no loan limits on those. And so those are competitive in the jumbo market, like just as strong as what jumbo investors are offering, low sevens, high sixes. So the non-QM space has definitely stepped up during the last couple of years here. I've heard whisperings of 40-year mortgages, which I'm not sure is a great idea, but it would help with payments for sure, affordability. We do the DSCR as a 40-year on. That's one of the options. Oh my gosh, really? Oh my. 30, 40, and then there's interest only as well. Tears of joy. How long is the interest only term? It can be either 30 or 40. For the whole term? Yeah, and then it has a balloon. Get out of town. <laughs> right. Okay, so, huh. <laughs> Okay. I didn't know that. What's it do to the pricing? There is some pretty heavy adjustments, Ron. I'd have to go back and look at it. I mean, most people- Oh, you need to send me a text after this. See, now this- Yeah, this is live. Let me just tell you guys, this is one of the benefits of having a very large network is that I get to get a text from Brendan because I'm learning something on the show. This happens routinely when we have guests on that I learn something on the show. It's true. Absolutely. 40 year guys, just so y'all know- That's something that in the apartment world has been out there for a long time. Not necessarily Freddie Mac loan. They didn't have those. But really large institutional loans, they've had 40-year AMs for a long time. And it's usually because the size of the loan is gigantic. But that's actually really, really cool. So let's see what the adjustments look like. And will you also send me over what the max buy-down is on it with the adjustment? Sure. I would love to see that rate chart, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, they have a floor rate. Yep. Yeah, that's actually really, really cool. What else do I not know, Brendan? I know. I was going to say, that's one thing I love about working with you, Brendan, is you're never the guy that just is like, well, is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it ever. (laughs) Worked with a lot of lenders over the years and have worked with a handful for sure that just kind of stick their head in the sand and say, well, this is how it's going to go. And I think that's why we get along so well in working together with our clients, 
is because we're the same way. I mean, we're not going to sit and just be a victim of interest rates. (laughs) We get really creative and find solutions. I mean, when rates are at 3%, you can quote unquote, kick it down the middle of the field and still be pretty successful. Yep. But these times, man, that net's got to be super wide. You got to have all kinds of options for yep. folks because there is no right answer for anyone. Exactly. I agree. So true. And let that be a lesson to everybody, right? Yeah. A, there's always more to learn. B, surround yourself with people who know more than you do in certain areas. And try to surround yourself with people who know more than you do in every area. Mm-hmm. And three, be creative. Yep. Problem solve. And that is literally where all the opportunity is. I'm going to be a little biased, but that's why our deals are better than anything else I'm seeing on the market yeah. in the turnkey space. Because everybody else is just like, well, it is what it is. Yeah. Over 10, 20 years, you're going to make a lot of money. I mean, for the first little while, you're going to lose money, but that's okay. That's what they did back in 2007. So everybody was like, ah, negative cash flow doesn't mean anything. Look at all this uh, appreciation you can get over here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Staying alert and awake and looking for opportunity. Because, man, there's so much opportunity with the high interest rate environment. There's opportunity if you have the right glasses on and you don't have the fear glasses on. My glasses are on 40 years right now. I'm already running numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have the numbers yet. So Yeah, 40 years sounds awesome. All right. I mean, 10 more years on the AM. (laughs) Sounds like a lifetime. Doesn't it? I'm not sure that I care so long as somebody else is paying for it. If it were on my personal residence, I think I would have a real hard time with that. Right. But I do think that it's something that may be necessary to bridge the affordability gap because I don't see the costs coming down. Inflation has not gone away. And I don't know that they can pull enough money back in at this point to get it to go away. I mean, the reality is too, with the term stuff and people freaking out about it. I mean, I don't know how many conversations I've had with folks where they're like, oh, I'm thinking 15-year loan. And we run the numbers and they see that payment and they're ready to do it. And then I'm like, well, let's slow down real quick. What's your plan with buying real estate? Because this 15-year loan is eating up so much of your debt-to-income ratio. I know it feels good, but the reality is you're really handcuffing yourself for future purchases. If this is the house you want to be in and you potentially wanted to buy something else... So play the game on your own, do a 30, do a 40 year loan and pay it down at whatever speed you want, but don't have it impact your debt to income ratio along the way by handcuffing yourself with a shorter term. Yeah. Even the 40 years is a good way to set yourself up to be able to buy something else and you can pay that on a 30 year pace. So just thinking outside the box. True. I love Absolutely. that. There's a reason why we have a preferred lender, friends. We got that question on the webinar yesterday. Do I have to work with your lender? And after this conversation today, it feels like, yeah, you get to work with our lender who understands (laughs) investment rates. Here's another thing. All you people who are listening out there, well, I have a banker that I use and I'm like, okay, cool. About halfway through this, they're going to tell you that they can't do the loan. Nine times out of 10, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have the appropriate people out of state. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to do all of this because it's not what they do. They're used to doing homeowner loans and they're using all of the rules for their normal bank. The experience is not going to be the same. I can tell you that right now. There's a reason why someone who does investment loans knows all this other stuff about investment loans because it's all not all, but mostly what you guys do. Right. Yes. And having everybody, the team on the ground with like an appraiser panel We have two clients right now looking at bringing tens of thousands of dollars to the table because they want to stick with their lender 
and they had a crappy appraisal. And it's unfortunate. It's like painful to watch. Like, why? Why would you, you know? Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Well, if I may echo the same sentiment, I've definitely been along the way presented with some other turnkey companies out there. And I can say in the few that I've had clients bring to me, 90% of them have canceled. Interesting. Because the data is bad. The properties just aren't what they've been promised. Mm -hmm. And in the same breath, I'd never see that with you guys. And I've never had it happen to myself personally. So all the things that you're doing are really putting people in the best position for success with the investment field. So you guys do a great job. Appreciate it. We work hard to make sure that happens. It doesn't happen with good team members. So we appreciate it. And let the love fest end. We can't, we have to end on the love (laughs) fest note. That's awesome. Everybody on the show today is awesome, including myself. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're all awesome. And we really appreciate you guys listening. I hope you guys learned something. Reach out to us if you need to get in contact with Brendan. You've already used him. Let's do another property. We're crying out loud. What are we doing? Yeah. And until next time, get out there and make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.